Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Green Magic and Green Medicine with your hostess, Susan Weed. My name is Daniel Michael, the founder and co-creator of the Main Street Universe Radio Network, and we will be back right after this. Forbidden archaeology, forgotten history, divination, magic, cryptozoology, UFOs, nature, science, and spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Welcome. Tonight we are here in the studios at Cafe Fairfax, which we used to do. That's where we started with the original Main Street Universe with myself and Mr. Kevin Baird, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. And we are joined here with uh, our resident uh, engineer for the, our album, Songs of the New Old Way, Stefan Ile. Go ahead and say hello, Stefan. Hello. And my brother, Reverend Scott Samuel Michael. Uh, on the drums for as well as become a good engineer himself and a pretty good guitar player as well. Uh, say hello, Scott. Good evening. It's great to be here. And Susan, I see you're on the queue and your mic is on and welcome. Green blessings. Uh, how nice to be at a slightly different venue tonight. <laughs> I guess, yeah, sometimes it's tired, just, you know, same old me, right? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I got a call um, earlier today from um, a young woman uh, at a nearby uh, college, and she was working on, is working on a movie about the full moon. And she heard that I had moon lodges. And so she wanted to know if they were full moon lodges. And since we've just finished the Trees of the Thirteen Moons with Elder... The last of our moons, I thought, how interesting that the universe brings me somebody asking about the moon. And I said to her, no, our moon lodges actually don't have anything at all to do with the moon. 
she thought maybe we met at the full moon or did something with the full moon. And I said, no, no. It's called the Moon Lodge for a great variety of reasons. And I asked her if she had ever seen, and I, I'm sure that you have. Um, I was asking her because she was you know, fairly young and perhaps hasn't had an opportunity to see it yet, although it's a classic image um, drawn or scratched on a cave wall. Oh, gosh, maybe um, 36,000 years ago. And it shows a woman, one hand on her belly, and the other hand raised with the horn of her goat or a sheep in her upraised hand. And she's looking up at the moon, and there are 13 lines in the horn. And one of the really different things that human mammals do is to hide their ovulation. All other mammals have a very obvious ovulation. When my goats ovulate, they go into heat. Element, elephants, right? Elk, deer, you think about them all. You think about, oh yeah, there's like a time of the year when they're doing it. A time of the year when they're Right in heat. That's when the females are ovulating. And they don't ovulate year-round. Um, some do. Many don't. And they announce it when they're ovulating. And human women don't. We ovulate year-round. We've hidden our ovulation. Many women don't even know when they're ovulating, Some, nothing wrong with that. We've hidden it even from ourselves. And so we've lost that connection that we used to have that helped us know when we were ovulating, which is called the moon. Because most mammals are day-length ovulators. That is, they ovulate when days are shorter than nights or when days are longer than nights, depending on the animal. For animals in the northeast, deer and goats and, and so on, the shortening day triggers the ovulation. So women... Human women stopped responding to day-length triggers and started responding instead to night light triggers. And by that, I mean that when there is light at night, it is a trigger for women's ovulation. And that light at night, of course, is going to occur when the moon is full. That's the light that our closed eyes, 
our third eyes, our brain is going to be exposed to is the light of the full moon. And that starts a cascade virtual avalanche of hormones, one right after another, in a human woman's brain and then ovaries and then uterus and bing, bing, bing. The next thing you know, she's ovulating. So the only part of the human menstrual cycle or fertility cycle that is set is the time between ovulation and menstruation. Between menstruation and menstruation can vary. And thus the time between menstruation and ovulation varies. And it varies from month to month and from woman to woman. But the time between ovulation and menstruation is set in its 13 days. Every woman, every month, it's 13 days. Thus those 13 marks on that horn. It is thought that without electric light, the full moon triggered ovulation. 13 days later, women began to menstruate at the dark of the moon. And then when the moon was full again, they would ovulate again so that they had 28-day cycles with the portion between menstruation and ovulation being 15 days and between ovulation and menstruation being 13 days. And so that cycle itself became known as the moon cycle and menstruation became known as moon in Native American circles, if someone says, are you on your moon, what they are asking you is, are you menstruating? When Sun Bear was holding medicine wheel gatherings, the first one that I went to, I went, after having looked at the list of things that we could help out with, and what I wanted to help out with was getting the firewood together for the sweat lodges. And I'm very adept at doing firewood. I have several chainsaws myself. I took my Kevlar vest, my Kevlar gloves. I was ready to cut firewood, but they were not ready to have a <clears throat> girl cut firewood. And so they decided what, the, what they should do was to, to tease me and to send me over to the pile of pieces of wood that no one had been able to split and to see if I could split them. Well, I'm actually really expert at splitting wood because I talk to the wood and I, I can find out from the wood itself how it would like to be split. But um, having split their pieces of wood, they then had to find another job for me. And so they asked me if I would be so kind as to stand at the door and any time there was um, sweat lodge going on as the doors, it was gate. You know, uh, the in, invisible door, invisible gate. And to see to it that any woman who was on her moon was not allowed into the area. And I agreed to do that. I agreed to be the guardian and to ask every woman who came that way, are you going to be participating here in the sweat lodge? Are you on your moon? And... It never occurred to me that women wouldn't know what I was saying. I had been asked to find out if women were on their moon. I asked them if they were on their name. 
And as it turned out, there was a woman who wasn't demonstrating, but she wasn't on her moon because she didn't know that that's what on your moon meant. And so she participated in the sweat lodge. And at some point in the sweat lodge, she managed to mention somehow to the medicine man leading the sweat lodge that she was menstruating or said something about it, at which point he completely and totally, absolutely flipped out, freaked out, lost his thing. And I actually came to the area to, in the midst of his tearing apart his sweat lodge and burning all of his medicine tools. And I said to him, what are you doing? He said, you were supposed to keep women in their, on their moon out of the... And I said, well, I ask every woman. He says, yeah, well, she didn't know what it meant. I said, well, I said, sorry, you know, you had a menstruating woman in my lodge. It's ruined everything because a menstruating woman's power is so strong that a medicine man's strongest power cannot stand against it. Hmm, that's interesting. On your moon. But it's not the full moon, is it? It's the new moon. It's that hidden aspect of woman. That power to bleed and not die. That power to walk the edge between life and new life, new life and death. So this young woman was asking me about my moon lodge. And I told her it didn't have anything to do with the moon. That it has to do with being on your moon. And she didn't know what on your moon meant either. And so we talked a little bit about that and the things that I've been telling you about ovulating at the full moon and menstruating at the new moon. And she, like many women, had heard the myth that women menstruated or were supposed to menstruate at the full moon. And as we got to talking, um, I and I was trying to be very specific about what was she really interested in, we began to talk about the red tent movement. And I, I realized, oh, maybe a month ago, certainly not more, that I've been running a moon lodge here at the Wise Women's Center for close to 35 years now. Really, of quite a long time. And I know that of the many things that we offer apprentices here, one of the major things that they replicate um, is moon lodge, both for themselves and for their friends and, and for the public. And I also know that some of the apprentices found that women didn't know what a moon lodge was any more than these women knew what being on their moon was. That it was a kind of opaque term. Just as this woman who called up, oh, you're having a moon lodge. Is this something to do with the full moon? What are you doing? Is it a sweat lodge, right? So it's, a, the, it's certainly an ambiguous term to many modern Americans. Among Native Americans, it's absolutely clear what a moon lodge is, right? But that doesn't mean everybody understands that. So they've moved the moon lodge forward under a different name, which excites and delights me absolutely. And the name that has been chosen comes from a book by Anita Diamant called The Red Tent. Now, Anita would be the first person in the world to tell you, it's all made up. It's a figment of my imagination. It's all made up. Yes, I used biblical characters, characters but I don't mean that that, that that really happened. But it doesn't matter, Anita. 
Because to us, it is real. To the women who read the red tent, it is real. And so we make it real. So the red tent really exists. Maybe you made it up, Anita, but now we're making it up. And maybe when you made it up, it was imaginary, but we're making it up as real. The Moon Lodge is the red tent. I just spent some time with some women working um, in the Red Tent Movement, and they told me that the Red Tent uh, now operates in 80 countries worldwide. And Red Tent or Moon Lodge is simply a gathering of women who come together to honor themselves as women and to honor um, their moon. So we come back to the Moon Lodge. Well, it turned out that she wasn't really interested in the, the Moon Lodge um, or the Red Tent, as such a thing, what she's really fascinated with is filming under the full moonlight. And I thought that was, was quite an interesting thing to think about. What kinds of images could she get? I mean, sometimes, especially in the winter, the full moon is so bright on the snow that you think, I could sit out here and read. The other day I was walking with my granddaughter, and it was past dark, and we could see the moon. It was a very, very bright moon. And she said something about it being so bright. She says, oh, that moon is almost as bright as the sun. And I said to her, well, what you're actually seeing is indeed sunlight. And she looked at me, and she said, no, it's not. It's moonlight. I said, ah, oh, but the moon doesn't make any light of itself. The moon is a big rock. Yeah. And the sun is shining on that big rock, which is covered in dust, and that dust reflects the light back to us, and we call it moonlight, but it's really sunlight. There's she wasn't quite sure if Grandma was pulling her leg again, because I do like to pull her leg, or if somehow I was imparting to her some very deep wisdom that what she thought was moonlight was really the sun in a different guise, hitting a big chunk of rock and then being reflected back to us. And An interesting a, way to think about moonlight, isn't it? It is, and it reminds me of a lyric from a song from Black Sabbath where it said, they say it's black, it's really white. The moon is just the sun at night. That's what you made me think of. <laughs> oh, great line. Great. Oh, and thanks for the song you sent me. Oh, you're welcome. And thank you. Yeah, that was fun. And we have more, <laughs> and we're always working more <laughs> and working on more. And <laughs> a song in the mail. You open the envelope, and the song flies out. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> So, the Moon Lodge, I started doing Moon Lodges kind of as a challenge from Brooke Medicine Eagle, and that was what got me thinking about a month ago, about how long I'd been doing the Moon Lodge. Because we were talking about how long we'd known each other, and how far back it had been that we were in that group talking about what could we do to save the world? What could we do to heal the world? And 
um, with Brooks' guidance, understanding that we can't heal the earth or save the earth. The earth is just fine. Um, she might get rid of us if she doesn't like us too much. So we might want to be on her good side. Um, on the other hand, um, I, I take a perhaps more relaxed view of human influence on the planet. I mean, when I look at what a single tsunami can do or a single volcano can do, when you understand plate tectonics and how the Himalayas got there and the Rocky Mountains got there, um, I don't see myself as being capable of doing much uh, to really disrupt this planet and its deep uh, forces and changes that it has gone through over the four billion years of its existence. But I do do love this planet and I live on it and I do want it to be happy enough with me to allow me to continue to live here. And Brooke suggested that what we really wanted to do was to nourish the earth. And I really like that because, of course, the scientific way fixes and the heroic way cleanses and balances and the wise woman way, uh, and I'm the spokeswoman for the wise woman way, nourishes. So to have someone telling me to nourish, that was good. That was good to have the tables turned that way and to say, hey, we're not healing the earth, right? We're not saving the earth. We're nourishing the earth. That is something that we can do. We can nourish the earth. And Brooks' answer to how do we nourish the earth was the basic nourishment for the earth is menstrual blood. And it used to be that every woman gave her menstrual blood to the earth. What else indeed could she do with it? Even, um, and I was very surprised to find this out, even in the early 1900s in the United States, in the South, Outhouses were not used and were even frowned upon, let alone indoor plumbing. People just did whatever they were going to do right on the ground. There were some parasitic diseases that were problematic in the South. And um, Rockefeller uh, donated quite a bit of money to see if these parasitic diseases could be eliminated not perhaps totally for altruistic motives, but because the parasitic disease actually um, drained people of energy and made them want to sleep all day. And Rockefeller wanted a workforce. Uh, Now that the Civil War was over and there were no more slaves, we need to actually have people ready and willing to work. So he wanted to get rid of this parasitic disease that was actually called the, the germ of laziness, although it wasn't a germ at all. And it spread through human feces. And thus they had to really deal with the fact that people felt that there was something wrong with not just doing whatever you had to do right out on the ground. And I thought, how fascinating, you know, how it ties in to what Brooke is saying about Native people. And that, of course, the the blood went back on the earth where else would it go? Where else was there to put it, right? It's not being flushed down a toilet. It's not going into a sewer system. It's not even being in an outhouse or a privy. No, it's right there on the ground. And although certainly during my menstrual life, I did endeavor several times to be right on the ground. And I've often said to women, a long skirt and go to a park and just flip up the back and sit down and you're all settled in for a little nourishing the earth there. But what most women feel more comfortable doing is using 
something that can absorb the flow and then rinsing that in water and pouring that water on the ground. Okay. And that works as a way to nourish the earth as well. And, of course, if we want to do these in conjunction with the moon, that's fine. But it doesn't have to be because it's about your moon time. It's not about the moon moon up there. It said in Australia among the Aboriginal medicine people that long ago all women menstruated together. And you think about how that would be, because when the moon is full, it's full everywhere. And there's that full moon shining down, and all women starting that cascade that leads to ovulation, that leads 13 days later to menstruation, and all women then menstruating together as the moon grew dark. And what we're doing now with electric light, so that on the glands in our brains, um, are confused. It's difficult for them to know when it's night and when it's day. And I've mentioned before that uh, there are those who say that of all the pollutants that we have to deal with in modern life, that perhaps the most damaging to our health is light pollution. Because so many of our circadian rhythms, so many of our hormonal rhythms, so many of our nervous system rhythms are supposed to vacillate synchronously with the vacillating light between day and night and between full moon and new moon. And with light all the time, and that can be just as true in the country as it can in the city, Um, many places out in the country encourage people to put up security lights which shine all night long, disturbing our rhythms, disturbing our hormones. Melatonin is one hormone that's produced by the brain, and it's produced by the brain and by seaweed, interestingly enough, only in the absence of light. So if we sleep in a room where there is any kind of light pollution, whether it's coming in from outside, or whether it's because there's all kinds of devices plugged in in the room with all those little telltale lights, our brains are registering that. And we're not producing enough melatonin to really get the full recharge that we need from sleep. There's a growing sense that um, that if it's not already causing problems, it is poised to c- cause some really enormous problems, both the outright sleep deficit of many Americans and even among Americans who would seem to be getting enough rest aren't getting enough of the kind of rest they need because the light is preventing them from falling into the deepest states of sleep. I'm also reminded of Louise Lacey. And Louise was a young woman who, as she came into her menses, had a lot of pain. And her kindly family doctor put her on birth control pills so she wouldn't have pain. A story oft repeated across America and industrialized countries. And when she got to her 20s, she said, gosh, I've been taking these pills for a very long time. Let me go off them. And uh, she, of course, also had the motive that she had, meanwhile, fallen in love, gotten married, and wanted to have a baby. So time to get off the birth control pills, and she found that her cycle was wildly erratic. 
and that she had not left the pain behind, that the pain was still there, and now she needed to learn how to deal with it, and that she was having a terrible time getting pregnant. As she began to research this connection between women and the moon and ovulation, she began to realize that perhaps one of the problems that her body was having was that it didn't have this clear pattern of changing light at night. And so she tried to replicate it, and she called it lunaception. And what she did was she slept with a nightlight on for three nights in a row to mimic the full moon, and then she blacked out her room. No light of any kind, not even a little light. Right, towel stuck under the door if necessary, black curtains over the windows, whatever you need to make it dark. Dark, no light at all, as though you were in a deepest, darkest cave. And she slept then in that deep, dark cave for the 13 days between ovulation and menstruation. And then she continued and continued to sleep for another 12 days in that dark for a total of 25 days and then three days of light. And within about four months, she had begun to menstruate regularly and within six months, she was pregnant. And maybe so no, the moon launch doesn't have anything to do with the moon, but it has a lot to do with moonlight. Right. So what about... Like a quickie fix, like instead of trying to darken everything, what if you can't do that, but you wear like a blind, or you know, take a T-shirt and maybe put it over your eyes, a blindfold or something like that, and tie it. Would would that be as effective? It's not as dark? effective because all it covers is your eyes, and the uh, glands in your head can actually be affected by light stri- striking your forehead. That is so interesting because. I have felt, because I sometimes, just out of falling asleep while reading, will fall asleep with the light on. It happens to me a lot. And I will notice after a few days of this, though this is very not on the female issue side, I will be very dizzy. My memory isn't right. I feel a little ungrounded. I feel a little, uh, I got like a fog in my head all day. And so I, I think that's a very interesting point. <clears throat> About the light and how it affects you're you're experiencing the same thing from from the light. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I often say say to to uh, grandmas, go sneak into your granddaughter's bedroom and steal the nightlight. Right. Right. Really, really difficult um, for children, especially, to start being exposed to nighttime light pollution. So uh, I uh, encourage parents to rethink, rethink that nightlight. Right. right. Yeah, I was definitely yeah. there, there to the dark. Yes, there are motion, motion sensitive lights if a light is really needed. I stayed in a wonderful house in Japan, and the house was dark, dark, dark at night. But boy, as soon as you got up, blink, 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 the lights started coming on, and they would go off too. They're in really sensitive timers. As soon as there was a motion, that light would blink off, and then within seconds, blink on, and within seconds, as you pass through, as long as you were there, it would stay on, but as you passed through, it would go off. It was it was a little eerie, but it was kind of nice, too. Right. Can you believe it? We talked up a whole half hour. Oh, my gosh. It has happened again. <laughs> oh. Right then, I'll be back with you next week.
Absolutely. And as we move ever closer to our favorite holiday of the year, Halloween. I like it for itself, but I also like it because it's the beginning of the permission to sparkle season. That's right. <laughs> and the time when the veil is thinnest between this world and next, just like the other time, which is would be a Bielshana or Beltane, the other the other the other side, the spring, you know, there's the two times. And I've always felt creative during this time of year. Always felt like when the autumn comes and it cools down, the creativity comes and starts to flow and feel refreshed, like almost like the cells in my body during the autumn feel refreshed and ready to create and act. Well, that's a perfect place to end. Thank you for helping me to reclaim herbal medicine as people's medicine. Thanks for putting that little link right on the page so people can click through and find my books. And thanks for being you and holding down the Main Street universe wherever you wind up. All right, and thank you so much. All right. Good night. And have a great evening and green blessings to you. You've been listening to Green Magic, Green Medicine with your hostess, Ms. Susan Weed. We'll be back next week, 10 p.m., Eastern Time, join us. Forbidden Archaeology, Forgotten History, Divination, Magic, Cryptozoology, UFOs, Nature, Science, and Spirit. All this and more right here on the Main Street Universe Radio Network. Blessed are